Aloha. We're glad you've joined us for this Reunion Hawaii Church podcast. These teachings by our pastoral team are recorded live during our weekly services in Honolulu, Hawaii. We hope you will be blessed by this teaching. How many out there loved graduation? No, no, raise your hand. I didn't say woo. Okay, who did not care for graduation? Wow, how many have never graduated? Like I saw like seven hands go up, okay. What'd you say, we're the smartest congregation? We're the best looking congregation? It's hard to stay humble at reunion. We're gonna, I wanna talk to you guys about a few things before I get to preach. Um, the first one Nina mentioned during announcements is that this is a season of transition for us. Obviously, we're in a new building now. And Thursday night at the Vision Forward meeting, 7.30 at Windward Worship Center, uh, we're going to talk you guys through this stuff. And a lot of times transitions can be scary. A lot of times transitions aren't always well received because um, stuff is thrown at people without them being prepared for it. So we want to prepare you guys. I would encourage you guys to come and hear the vision for both the immediate and the distant future. And just knowing that change is necessary for growth. You can't have growth without change. And we want to just dispel the fear surrounding that change and paint you a picture, bring you understanding. There's gonna be a lot of new things that we're gonna be launching into at Reunion. And a lot of it has to do with building and equipping the saints. Raise your hand if you're a saint. Yeah. All right, good job. And we're going to be talking about lots of new ways um, to serve, different teams. And the easiest thing for you guys to join in, it's about as low pressure of a situation as there is. Moving forward from tonight on, and tonight we actually kind of did a soft launch of it. From 5.30 to, or sorry, 4.30 to 4.45 in this room, we're having pre-service prayer. And what we want to do is just create an atmosphere and an environment where people can enter in to agreeing with what he's doing. It's a time of intentional uh, agreement and alignment with his plans for the night. And we're stamping our amen onto what he's already doing and what he has planned for the night. Um, and then we're interceding for what he's about to do in the service that comes up 15 minutes later. So. We like this idea of literally blessing what he's doing. He's the one who's making the plans and we come alongside him. So if you can, come early, come at 4.30. We'll ha it's kind of a free uh, self-paced thing. Just come in and enter in and just start praying, interceding. A lot of people go around and we pray over every seat. We just ask um, for breakthrough in the room, all the good stuff, and then about 4.40, We'll have kind of a huddle up and say, this is what the team feels like is happening tonight. And we have a closing corporate prayer, just blessing what he's doing. So come join us. It's super fun. It's awesome to see what he's doing. Okay, a couple questions. Does anybody in here, and you have to be brave, you can't raise the hand of your heart, you have to raise your physical hand. How, are there people in here who feel like you are anointed to teach? Like there's a call on your, yeah, go ahead, be the brave one. There's a call on your life to teach. Raise your hand. Okay, stand up, stand up. Um, the Lord says over you guys, uh, revelation is a spirit. And he gave me that idea of the spirit of wisdom or revelation out of Ephesians 1.17. Uh, 
says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So stay standing if you feel like you have an anointing or a call to teach. Uh, does anybody in here love praying or have a burden for the lost? You can go ahead and stand up. Yeah. The intercessors and the evangelists. Um, these are people who have a burden and a cry for the last, the least, and the lost. Um, if that's you, stand up. Uh, I felt like even before today happened that he was commissioning teachers and intercessors and evangelists and that this is his heart is um, to gather harvest and to disciple them and to pray for them and to raise them up. And that's one of the calls on our house that just for, for a litany of reasons, but the biggest one being a people problem. We didn't have enough people. We didn't have people on our teams to do this. Um, but it's something that we're wanting to step into. And I felt like the Lord say, okay, this is our house. This is our people. Why don't we just start commissioning them and asking for more breakthrough in that area that we need to grow in as a church? So um, if you're sitting, can you just put a hand? You can stand if you're not already, but find someone who's standing, put your hand on them, and we're just going to bless them for about... I don't know, 30 seconds. You get to do it on your own. And if you don't know how to do that, just start agreeing with what the Lord is doing in their life. Saying yes to the dreams that he's put on their heart, the passions and the desires. These are things from God himself. And asking for increase in breakthrough in those areas, whether it's a teaching anointing, uh, an evangelistic anointing, or um, like an intercessory, a prayer anointing. These are his kids. These are his dreams in their hearts. Take 30 seconds. Keep blessing them. It's, it's your turn. You bless them. Yeah, keep going. As a family, we're blessing you guys. And thank the Lord. Don't be afraid to thank him for sending us these people with these hearts and these passions. And even ask the Lord to increase their burden to pray and to teach to go and find the lost. Scare them, Lord, with the hunger that you put on them. And we bless what you're doing, Father. These are your plans. And we say yes to your plans. We say yes to your anointings. Would you fill this room up? Fill this room up. I just see tanks like in a car gas tanks he's filling them up and it's shooting out is so full we don't have a gas shortage out here in the kingdom you know like he's just overflowing with what he's doing so we bless your name jesus amen thank you guys for standing okay these are important things okay next is there anybody in the room and again let's be brave is there anybody in here who has chronic pain debilitating pain or incurable diseases, syndromes, anything like that. You've had pain for more than, let's say, a month. I don't, I don't want to give pain any sort of leeway on this. Stand up if, that, if that's you. If you have incurable diseases, debilitating pain, chronic pain. Yeah, there's no shame in this. There's no shame in the kingdom. Yeah, if that's you, this is what the Lord's saying. It says that he's the author and the finisher, and he says, today your pain is finished. And again, he brought me to Ephesians 1, 
says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. And so we're just going to ask the strength of his might to fill the room, to heal bodies, to embarrass doctor reports, to shame the, the enemy who's trying to bring his people down. So again, if these people are near you, get out of your seat, lay hands on them. We need to surround these people as a family. Um, and we're going to start speaking to things. We're, we're binding and loosing, like Jesus said we're going to do. We're binding pain. We're binding infirmity. Uh, these things cannot stay in the name of Jesus. Plead the blood of Christ. It heals every disease. Nothing is incurable under the blood. And just start calling forth the strength of his might. Again, you guys do it. You guys do it. Talk to things. That's what Jesus did. That's what the disciples did. Cast out. Tear down. These things cannot have place. Infirmity has to go. Ailments, you're done. You're finished. The cross ended it all. Sin, sickness, disease, death, you've been defeated. We remind you of the name of Jesus. He conquers everything. He is the healer. Jesus, be healer in this room right now. Get the testimonies that you've already paid for tonight. Keep going. I felt like him say, press in a little bit longer on this one. Don't relent on this one. Open your mouth, pray over them, speak over them. you don't know how to pray, just start telling Jesus how glorious he is. That's good enough. You're perfect, Jesus. You're glorious over this bride. You've paid for it all. By his stripes we're healed. It is finished. And now just take five or ten seconds Love on the person you're praying for. Bless them. Tell them how much he loves them. And we're going to move on. But let them know. Tell them what Jesus says about them. Take five, ten seconds. All right. Thank you guys for praying. If we've had any breakthrough, if you feel like you've been healed or um, pain has gone away, um, we're going to have a time of ministry at the end. When you, will you be brave and come tell us at the end? We want to hear. Um, and I had a feeling that stuff's going to happen during the service tonight. Um, he's as much of the healer right now as he was 30 seconds ago when you were praying. He doesn't change. Um, I wanted to invite my friend Julia up here. Give it up for Julia. Yeah. Uh, Julia is going to share a testimony of something that happened on our Saturday ministry calls for Kingdom Living. So what happened? So much happened. This is just one testimony from uh, yesterday morning. So yeah, we had our Zoom calls. 
Um, and it's just a time where we pray for people, um, prophesy, encourage them. And we had, um, we had a girl log on, and one of our team members was like, wow, you look so familiar. Um, and at the end, she stayed on to the end of the call, and um, she was asking um, if she could share a testimony. And she shared that she had um, hopped on the calls um, previously and um, wanted to share how the Lord moved in the words that we had given her months and months before. Um, and so she shared with us that um, before she hopped on the calls a few months ago, um, she was dealing with a lot of depression and she was dealing with um, like these really, really intense suicidal thoughts. Um, and obviously like being a Christian, she was like, hope is never lost. I understand that this is demonic, but like just felt very out of control of it. And so she was sharing that she created um, a pros and cons list, reasons why I should keep living, reasons why I should stop living. Um, and that just like, like hit us all in the face, like, wow, we just would have never known. And she was sharing how each word that she was given, how the Lord brought each one of those words to fruition. So I'll share a few of them. One of them was, um, one of our team members was in their home and they felt, um, they smelled this like intense fragrance. Um, it just like came into their room. They had no windows open. They actually like turned off their camera and went to open their window because they were just like, what is this smell? And it was at the time that we were praying for her. And so he, he stepped in and was like, um, I just feel like the Lord's saying like, because I've had this fragrance enter my home, that he's actually saying that um, you have the fragrance of heaven surrounding you. And wherever you go, you release the fragrance of heaven and people encounter and experience the presence of God. And um, she said that that's something she was praying about and that the Lord was speaking to her about. So it just like hit her right in the face. Um, another, another one of our uh, people gave her a word that um, you're going to get a vision and a word from the Lord in a week's time. Um, and she was like, and it happened in a week. I was on a walk and uh, I wasn't even praying. I wasn't even thinking about anything. And the Lord just just um, came in. I went into this vision. He was speaking about my life and my purpose and all these different things. So she had all these testimonies of how these very seemingly simple words and how the Lord brought them um, to speak life over her. And she's sharing that um, over the calls. Mind-blowing. She's suicidal. She's writing a pros and cons list, why I should live, why I should live. And at just he, the Lord speaking simple, simple words. Just when he moves, when he speaks, suicidal thoughts leave. That hell trembles at just one word that he speaks. And so, um, yeah, I, I was just, I, you, we shouldn't be mind blown. Like, this is normal. That's who he is. Um, but, yeah, I just... Can I Okay. <laughs> um, I just really felt, I get so, oh my gosh, I'm going to get emotional. I get so upset when I hear of the devil lying um, and, and, and speaking to God's children, God's people, that their life doesn't have purpose. And uh, one of our team members said, actually, I have something to say. There are no cons. There's actually only pros to living. So even you thinking that you could create a list of pros and cons, that's actually, that's not even possible because there's only pros to living. Um, and so I just felt if you, um, you don't have to stand up. Um, if you are dealing with um, 
depression or suicidal thoughts, you can even just even position your heart to receive. I know that's something that's very um, personal or even laying your hands open in your lap like you're going to receive from the Lord. Um, and if you know somebody that's dealing with depression or suicidal thoughts, I want you to posture yourself in the same way because um, I'm just going to speak life. And I want you guys to say it out loud as I'm saying it. Maybe we can just repeat after me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jesus, we just speak life. <laughs> over our friends, our families, um, our, what is it, co-workers. We say that there are no cons. Cons actually don't exist. There are only pros to living. We say yes to life. Yes to life. We say yes to life. Yes to life. In, Jesus name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. That's so good. It's been a fun week. We had, um, we had a team go to YWAM, had all kinds of cool words, like words of knowledge for people. And they were crying. You love it when Christians cry. I mean, that's a good thing when Christians cry, usually. You, you went to uh, a church, and yeah, and you saw legs grow and all kinds of fun stuff. Depression, deliverance, yeah, come on. He's good. This is what he does, right? This is who we serve. This is who uh, our dad is, and he loves it. And I felt a real need before we preached, just to tell you this, that um, we're really going to disrupt the religious spirit tonight. He, it's not welcome here. And if... Um, this is just something that I like. It has no, <laughs> there's nothing magical about it. Uh, and there's absolutely zero pressure to do this. In fact, if you do it out of pressure, it's not from the Lord, unless it's him like telling you to do it. But um, if you're in kingdom living, this is old to you. This is old news. But if you're just um, part of reunion, maybe this is a stretch. And that's okay. I, I think that we need to stretch what we actually think church is, and we're the church, you know? And if church is a family, family is uh, what heaven runs on, um, there is no fear, and there is no shame, and it's this is a place of freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, exactly. And I want to do this. This front is purposefully open. Again, if you're in Kingdom Living, you get this, but I believe that the hand of the Lord is gonna touch people all night long, and he needs a lot less help than we think he does. He's really good at his job. He doesn't need us to lay hands on people before they encounter him, and a lot of times I think that we almost put ourselves in the way, and we're gonna let his hand touch you tonight and not ours, and I want to open the front up, and I know sitting on the floor is a weird thought to some of us. Again, there's no pressure to do this, but in my mind, two things happen. Um, I believe that taking risk is very important in the kingdom, and like um, Lise, I was talking to Lise during worship, like, what do you feel like God's doing in the room? And she just really had this stirring that people need to move, because when you move, um, you're taking steps of faith, and he responds to that. Um, a lot of times we, we think it's dignity when in actuality it's disobedience. And 
you know, I put something on Instagram this week, you know, the, the same Holy Spirit who makes you jump and twirl and dance, he's also the same Holy Spirit who makes you shut up and apologize and be, you know, be quiet. Um, but he does both, and I think the idea of coming to the front to, to be with him really ruffles religious feathers, and that's okay. Like, it is what it is, but you're not allowed to care what other people think tonight, okay? Uh, I, I will speak on behalf of the person you're sitting next to and just say, I don't care what you do. Do whatever you want, okay? I'm going to do whatever I want. But I would encourage you, if you feel him manifesting or moving on you, just come up to the front. Um, I feel like there is breakthrough in that movement. And listen, you can stay as long or as short as you want. Um, I know that the floor isn't that comfortable, but you're welcome to sit. You're welcome to lay. You're welcome to crawl under the seat if you know the person who you're crawling under. But here's the deal. You have to take initiative. You have to take responsibility for your own breakthrough. And I'm not saying you cause your own breakthrough. Of course not. But you have the responsibility of responding to him. No one else can do that. And we want to eliminate the idea that it's the job of your pastor, your worship leader, or your neighbor to find the breakthrough for you. They, they don't have it. Only he does. And only you get to respond to that. And if you do decide to come up, praise the Lord. You're not more spiritual. You're not less spiritual. You're just responding to him. And my encouragement is stay until he's done with you. He might not ask you to stay for the, the whole talk. Um, and yes, you're going to have to stand up and people will see you get up. But you know what? Let's be fools for Christ. You know, he's, he's paid a pretty high price. Um, so don't go back to your seat. Or, or, in other words, stay till he's finished. But also, he's not impressed with whoever stays the longest. That's not how a good dad works. He's impressed with, with compassion. He, he loves our obedience, and he loves our response to his whispers. And uh, if we have to wait till he bangs a gong for us to hear him, then maybe we need to work on our discernment. Let's listen for his whisper tonight. And the challenge is, can you simply follow him, even if it's to the front of the room? Um, what we've seen is often it takes one person to break the dam and be the brave one. But we think that he's going to move more and more in our midst when we gather, when we respond to him more and more. And I hate to break it to all you religious folks out there watching online. There's no religious folks in here. But anyone who's like wrestling with that religious spirit, um, a physical response actually honors him. It blesses him, and it's a prophetic step towards him. Again, there's nothing special. It's not magical. You're not more holy. You're not more spiritual. Um, in fact, Jesus is probably telling some people, don't go up there. Don't, don't go sit. Um, and it would be wrong for you to get out of your seat. But this is our way of saying, you're not allowed to sit and consume. Uh, we do hope you get fed at reunion, and we do hope that um, you come and you gather like whatever you need in your spiritual life, but this is not a passive thing, and this tonight cannot be a passive moment. That's why we're having this pre-service prayer. You actually have a responsibility for what happens in this room on Sunday night, um, and we want to give you opportunity to respond to him, okay? Cool, all right. We are going to disrupt the religious spirit. This whole talk is about the religious spirit. Um, I haven't even started yet. <laughs> um, I heard someone say this week that flesh has an odor, but worship has a fragrance. Flesh has an odor, but worship has a fragrance. 
And it's good for us to ask sometimes and really, um, really ask the Lord, um, does my life in this season have an odor or a fragrance? And even during worship tonight, I was, I mean, you don't want to do this and self-examine because a lot of times we'll only see things that we want to see, and a lot of times that's not good. But if we actually ask him for his eyes and his perspective and say, Lord, right now, would you say that I'm giving you my flesh or my spirit? Am I, am I actually worshiping you tonight? And so many times when I bring that question before him, he just pours his, his fatherhood, his love, that dad's love upon me and just says, this is exactly what I came for tonight. And that's a freebie. Take that with you. Odor versus fragrance. It's important. So yeah, tonight we're going to talk about uh, the, the, the religious spirit. I felt like we're in this season of transition. It's fun. It's exciting. And I felt like this talk is a good way to kind of shower off after the, the heavy lifting of moving facilities and get everything cleaned up as we move forward. And what I'm about to talk about, I want to start by saying every single person in this room has absolute complete authority over. None of this, what I'm about to say, has victory over you. And it is the religious spirit. And it, the religious spirit is this idea that is tossed around all the time within Christian circles. And I, I never want to focus on what the enemy's doing, but I have heard this recently and quite a bit within the bride. And tonight, I want to offer an opportunity for us to identify it and break free from it. There's no point in identifying it if we're just going to stay under it. But I think that um, religious wounds are going to be absolutely healed tonight. And there won't even be scarring left uh, during the talk, after the talk, during ministry time. It's going to be awesome. This is who he is. So pop quiz to start the night. How much authority does Jesus have? All of it. Wow. You are the smartest church. The religious spirit is a counterfeit. It's a, it's a counterfeit spirit, and it tries to take the place of Jesus. And what happens is it tries to usurp or, or take away, move into place, a place that only belongs to him. And it's a sorry substitute to put on the throne for Jesus on the throne. And it's a smokescreen that's based in fear and manipulation and control. It's an imposter. But unfortunately, it is alive and well within the greater bride of Christ. It's, it's not something that has gone away since, you know, the days of Jesus when it was Pharisees and Sadducees and experts of the law. It's still around. And we're going to look at some biblical things, uh, some biblical moments that deal with the religious spirit. And then hopefully we'll um, just move into time of application at the end. So let's move to Mark 8. We have some slides. I want to read you a passage. And it says this. The Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, with Jesus, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Why were they asking him for a sign? To test him. The religious spirit puts God to the test, and it puts people to the test. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly, I say to you, no, no sign will be given to this generation. And it's very interesting because 
for about six chapters leading up to this point, all Jesus was doing was signs. And for about six chapters after, all Jesus is doing is signs. Maybe we'll talk about that in another week. Leaving them, he again embarked and went away to the other side. And they had forgotten to take bread. The disciples forgot to take bread and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he was giving orders to them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And these two leavens, if you cook, you know that leaven is something that goes into bread that actually changes the makeup of the dough. It has a chemical reaction and changes the dough. And these two leavens that Jesus mentions are the two leavens of the mind spoken about in scripture. And essentially what it means to have a leaven of the mind is um, it's things that infect our thinking. Think about your mind as the lump of dough and this leaven, if we allow it in, will absolutely change the makeup of our lump of dough and it will influence our thinking. Um, Think about these leavens as a looking glass, like a lens that we, we either can or cannot look through. And it's dangerous because the only lens that we're actually supposed to use is the lens of Christ. And we're supposed to take every thought captive through Jesus. In other words, run everything through that lens of Jesus and you will see things clearly. Um, But this is a substitute. And again, it's a sorry substitute for the king of kings. And we, we do not want these things to infect our thinking. So when Jesus talks about the leaven of the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the religious experts. The leaven of the Pharisees is the religious spirit. And then he says the leaven of Herod. Herod was the political ruler. That's the um, political spirit. So leaven of Pharisees, religious spirit. Leaven of Herod, political spirit. And the the interesting thing about this story, uh, when Jesus is warning them about these two leavens of thought, uh, it takes place at the feeding of the 4,000, or right after. Like 4,000 people get miraculously fed, and then he has this conversation, and we'll touch on that. The religious spirit and the political spirit both strive for two things that only Jesus has, and it's power and authority. The the political spirit wants power at any cost. Think about the religious spirit going on in the world right now. What What does politics always, always want? It wants power. At any cost, right or wrong, politics wants power. The religious spirit doesn't necessarily want power, it wants authority at all costs. Think about the religious people in the Bible, the the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Um, Think about how all they wanted was to be right at any cost. Both the political and the religious spirit are based in fear, they come from the flesh and they operate Uh, with witchcraft and manipulation. And we're going to talk about this because I want to demystify some of these words. So both the political and the religious spirit are self-serving. In other words, they run contrary to being a servant. And though they are presented as um, holy or a good thing or pious or whatever, they're always self-serving. Think about this. The context of Jesus warning about these two leavens was as he was serving 4,000 people. Let me, let me read you a couple scriptures from this passage, verses 2 and 3. 
Jesus says this, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I sent them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way and some of them will have come from a great distance. He has compassion while he's, and he says, I have to serve them something. I can't let them keep going like this. Jesus is always the perfect model and his leadership style was apostolic. Um, There's a lot of thoughts we'll tie together. Just stick with me. Are you sticking with me? Pablo, are you paying attention? Okay, good. (laughs) Apostolic kingdom leadership absolutely moves through compassion and service. You cannot have kingdom leadership, apostolic leadership, without compassion and service. And I love what Jesus does here with the 4,000. This is an apostolic move. He says, tell, or he tells the disciples, he says, you serve them. Oh, they're hungry. I can't let them go home hungry. Hey, you serve them, okay? There was no bread. You serve them. And it's interesting that in this passage out of Mark 8, Jesus actually didn't do the working of the miracle. His disciples did. I mean, God did it, but it was through the disciples. Jesus just kind of sat back. He says a prayer, and he divides the people up. But the disciples were the ones who actually multiplied the bread. And this idea of apostolic kingdom leadership, it cultivates environments that actually equips the, the saints for the work of ministry. That's what Ephesians 4 is all about. And during this season of transition at Reunion, um, again, we're finally able to start stepping into some things that we've wanted for a long time uh, and felt called to do, but now we actually have the manpower and the facilities to do them. And this is very important to us because it's very important to Jesus. Again, this idea in Mark 8 of, of equipping the saints for the work of ministry that Jesus is doing. In, in Mark 8, 4, Jesus says, or these unequipped disciples, right? They're watching this crowd of 4,000 hungry people. They're unequipped, and they're under-equipped in their mindsets because they said, where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? And I say that they're unequipped and under-equipped in their thinking because immediately when the problem started, they looked with a lens of lack. They saw 4,000 hungry people. They saw Jesus, but they didn't pay much attention to him because they said, where are we going to get food? Listen, this is after the almost identical miracle where they already fed 5,000. Like, this is not new. And in fact, the first crowd was 1,000 people bigger, at least, probably more with women and children, right? So it's not like this was a new thing. It was actually pretty recent. I mean, I don't know how far apart months or years, but... Their ministry was only three years, so it was all within three years. My memories, I remember feeding 5,000 people less than three years ago. And in fact, the first time when they fed 5,000, there was actually less food that they divided to more people. So there was this now in Mark 8, it's a smaller crowd. They have more food. It's like they're better equipped for this. They've been through it once. They have more food. And my point is just that the disciples were looking for a natural solution. They were looking for a natural solution. And as we say here in Reunion, if it's not supernatural ministry, what kind of ministry is it, right? Uh, And so Jesus gives this apostolic model. And I think it's a model for us. He didn't say, bring me the fish, bring me the loaves, and I'll breathe on them or whatever, break them and watch them multiply. He said, how many loaves do you have? Okay, go start handing those out. And this idea... 
the, the apostolic moves from dependency on natural means and brings people to dependency of supernatural means. Always. It, it shifts our eyes from the natural to the supernatural because which is the greater reality? The supernatural. This trains people's minds to walk in renewal, right? Romans 12, 2. Renewal of the mind, transformation through the renewal of the mind. And it trains people, it trains us, the saints, to stop operating from earthly means, from earthly abilities, from earthly resources. None of that is in the kingdom. That's all earthly. We need to start moving by heaven's resources because it's unending. It's overflowing. It's too much. It's too much for us to contain. That's how much he has for us. So the religious spirit, which wants to be right at any cost, right? It wants to have, be the authority and have the authority. It's very interested in proving me right and you wrong. What does that do? It instantly divides. That's what the religious spirit does. And it's absolutely based in pride. Um, I better be careful who, what I say. Name names, I won't do it. But Pablo, pay attention, man. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> The religious spirit puts its faith in being correct, and it puts its faith in the right facts. And the deception of the religious spirit is that people think they're standing for the cause, and they're standing and fighting for God, when in fact they're actually warring against him. And that's, that's scary. That grieves him. Um, all of Jesus' miracles, he moved in them based on compassion, and again, feeding 4,000 people, to us, that's a, that's a pretty big miracle. I've never seen in any of my ministry moments 4,000 people fed, even if we had like 100 loaves of bread, right? Like, I've just never seen it. In, in our minds, we're thinking, that is a massive, massive miracle. And remember, right before Jesus warns everyone, like, hey, be, be wary of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod, the Pharisees came to test him and ask for a sign. They just saw 4,000 people fed miraculously. What other sign do they want? Was that not big enough for them? And this reveals two things about the religious spirit. The first thing is that the religious spirit sees compassion as weakness. Compassion is what moved Jesus' heart, but the religious spirit says compassion is weakness. Facts are what matter. That's how I know I'm right. And Jesus essentially says that the, the reward for this religious spirit is that you get no sign. You know, like in, in Matthew of the same story, it says, you get the sign of Jonah, no sign at all. You know, their being right in their own mind was literally their only reward. And honestly, it's more of a punishment because they were wrong. I think we've talked about this before, but you can be 100% right with your facts, but end up being 100% wrong because of your heart. And I think that that's a really important lesson that Jesus is trying to talk to them about. So the second thing that this shows about the religious spirit is that the religious spirit always demands performance. They came to Jesus and they said, show us a sign. Perform for us, Jesus. And again, read Mark 8. Mark is like the, the miracle gospel. It's all miracles before and it's all miracles after. It's all signs and wonders all around this. And they say, Jesus, show us a sign. 
And he says, I'm not going to show you a sign because the religious spirit operates in control and manipulation. And Jesus, he, he didn't even humor that mindset. Separate story, but in Matthew 21, the, the Pharisees come to Jesus after he's doing all this amazing stuff. He's teaching, and the Pharisees come to him, and they asked him, who gave you authority to do these things? In other words, we have authority, and you did not ask us if you could play. You did not ask us if you could do some of these things. Where was the permission that we gave you? And it was forcing this idea upon Jesus and making him address the idea that they thought they had authority. Who has all the authority? Jesus. And yet they're the ones saying, like, you didn't ask us. You need our permission to do this. And the crazy part about Matthew 21, when the Pharisees come and demand, who allowed you to do this? They got mad at Jesus because he was teaching about two things, faith and forgiveness. How dare he, right? Like, who gave you permission to have faith in God? Who gave you permission to forgive people of sins? The religious spirit is absolutely anti-faith and anti-forgiveness. Do you know really religious people? Don't say their names. Don't elbow them if it's someone next to you. But guess what two things they almost always try to sweep under a rug, faith and forgiveness. The religious leaders um, questioned Jesus' right to help people, to heal people, and to set people free from the clutches of Satan. And then they almost always followed it up with accusation. The religious spirit and accusation move hand in hand. Um, Who is the accuser? Satan, when we move in accusation, who are we partnering with? Yeah. It's so ironic to me that the Pharisees came and called Jesus the prince of demons for refusing to operate under their witchcraft. Funny. The religious spirit operates in witchcraft. Now, I want to talk about this word and demystify it and take... Most Christians have one of two thoughts when it comes to witchcraft. It's either the cartoony, Disney, you know, the witch eats the apple or the Wizard of Oz, like almost funny kind of witchcraft, or um, there's a fear around it. And again, I said this at the beginning, everything we talk about tonight, you absolutely have authority over and victory over. Uh, They cannot touch you if you're in the kingdom. Don't let them touch you. So I want to demystify this idea of witchcraft. It's a very common spirit, and... Um, when Tori spoke, I don't know, a few months back, a couple months back, she was talking about fear and some of these big words that are brought up in scripture. These are actually spirits. It's not an emotion. Fear isn't an emotion. It's a spirit. That's why Jesus says, don't, do not fear. That's why Bible always says, do not fear. Do not allow that to influence you because it will infect your mind. It is yeast. It is leaven, Right. And so we have to identify things and call them for what they are. The enemy hates to be exposed. He hates to be identified. And there's power in identifying these things so that we can work on our discernment. But witchcraft is a dark power, and usually it moves through seducing, deceiving, and controlling. Seducing, deceiving, and controlling. And this idea of witchcraft, or which is literally what the religious spirit operates through, 
Um, it runs contrary to everything listed in Ephesians 4 that is listed uh, as a way to build and equip the church. In other words, Ephesians 4 is all about how the saints get built and equipped, and witchcraft literally runs opposite of all of those things. So, for example, um, the, the idea of witchcraft, the idea of religious spirit, it wants to control it never wants to build people. It never wants to equip people. It wants forced submission. So it wants you to stay weak. The religious spirit hates Ephesians 4. It hates the equipped bride. It hates the, the healthy bride. Uh, Ephesians 4 talks about the building of the saints, right? The religious spirit tears down the saints. That's the main thing it does, right? Who gave you authority to heal the sick and cleanse the lepers and make people's lives so much better? How dare you do that? It's trying to tear down the saints. And it, it wants to put people in their place, so to speak. But we know that our place is not there. Our place is seated at the right hand of God. It's in the throne room. The religious spirit opposing you having authority because it refuses to submit to authority. Did you, did you understand that? The, refuse, the, the religious spirit opposes you having authority because it refuses to submit to authority. The religious spirit is all about control, and it wants you to be under their control. Um, ironically, <laughs> the religious spirit refuses to submit to authority, and then it tears people down for not submitting to their authority. That's what accusation is. We're not going to do it, but go through Ephesians 4 sometime and look at all these amazing things that... Um, it, it, that Paul's talking to us about how to build and equip the saints and what happens with mature believers. Uh, and the religious spirit runs anti and counter to all of them, like just a couple. Um, having the saints built and equipped means they start to operate in unity. What does the religious spirit hate? Unity. Who are the most divided people in the bride? The religious ones. Um, Ephesians 4 talks about saints being equipped and built so that they can become mature. But again, the religious spirit wants us immature so that it can control us. You get the point. Go through it. There's every single one you come to, you'll, you'll see it. I'm going to read uh, a passage out of Matthew 23. It's a little bit long. But Jesus got mad over very few things in Scripture. Um, most of the time, he wasn't angry. And just if I had to summarize all the things that made Jesus mad, I would put them under this umbrella. It was people operating in religious mindsets or the religious spirit, right? And making it difficult for others to access God. It always got mad, it got him mad. And it happened both with like the religious folks, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the experts of the law, but he even got mad at his own disciples for doing it, right? We're going to read Matthew 23, just some of it. And this is Jesus talking to the religious folks, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It says, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything that they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long, but woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door to the kingdom of heaven 
in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who enter who are trying to. And as I move forward, I want you to pay attention in this next passage, same Matthew 23, same conversation Jesus is having, but pay attention to the thing that turns his stomach, okay? He says, woe to you blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. You snakes, you brood of vipers. How will you escape by being condemned? How will you escape being condemned condemned to hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I tell you, All this will come on this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. Did you guys catch what made Jesus disgusted, what literally turned his heart? What that last whole passage was about was valuing the house of God without God being there. Let me rephrase that. Doing church. Putting on the show and valuing the product over the presence. Uh, He literally (laughs) condemns them to hell and says, you're vipers, you're snakes, you're serpents. There isn't there isn't nothing else. And he starts naming things. He says, you're creating altars of gold, right? But they were forgetting to put, to invite the one who's more precious than diamonds into the equation. And they said, you're laying sacramental gifts on the altar, but they forgot to invite the gift into the equation. And they're putting on this beautiful show, but it's just filled with death. It's lifeless like these tombs. Listen, <laughs> Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't come to church because he likes church. He comes to church because he loves you. And Jesus doesn't show up in our prayer closets because he loves prayer. He comes because he loves you. And he doesn't come and invade our worship because he likes songs. He comes because he loves you. Listen, he didn't go to the cross because he loves the cross. He, he went because he loves you. There's a risk in doing church that Jesus was trying to emphasize here. And when we just do church, it creates people who don't actually enjoy his presence. It creates people who only know how to enjoy services. And yes, we want our services to not scare people away and to not be terrible and to, you know, like there, there's obvious things. But again, what is the purpose if it's dead and lifeless? 
And from this whole passage of Matthew 23 with all of these woes unto you, Pharisees and scribes, um, you'll remember this. We just read it. The religious spirit is a murderous spirit. He says, I'm sending you all these people, and some of them you're going to kill and crucify actual men of God, like the guys who are actually men of God, not like you Pharisees. And with others, he said, you're going to flog them and pursue them from town to town. And that speaks about persecution. That's the slander. That's the accusation. You're going to chase them around. These are distinguishing characteristics of the religious spirit. And the scariest thing is that to end that whole passage, Jesus tells them, and all of this is your choice. He says, I wanted it, but you were not willing. You chose not to. You decided that this was a better way. And he says at the end, your house is left to you desolate. The religious spirit leads to emptiness and destruction. It absolutely leads to misery and loneliness. That's actually um, what that word desolate means in the original language. And think about that. Um, I've never met a happy or a joy-filled religious person. Um, When we think about the religious spirit, it's never joy-filled. And and that that saddens me, and it, it made Jesus weep over Jerusalem to see that because religion hates presence, and his presence is fullness of what? Joy. And yet the religious spirit brings desolation, destruction, loneliness, misery. And I just think flesh has an odor and worship has a fragrance. And how precious that fragrance is to Jesus. How precious. Oh, Jerusalem, I wish you just would have come and gathered under my wings. That's literally the will of God and they wouldn't, but how precious it is when we will. How much he must love that. If the refusal brings weeping over a city, the acceptance must bring great joy, because in his presence is fullness of joy. I think that there's a lot of clarity in identifying this kind of stuff. I think it's helpful. And honestly, um, I was in a conversation this week and just really thinking like, well, how do we, we do this at Kingdom Living because that's a school, but this isn't a school, this is a church, and the jobs, I mean, sorry, the, the goals, the vision, it's different. He's always the main goal, but how do we get people in our church to move in discernment, give them opportunity to discern? Um, and I think that a lot of it comes down to um, identification, because I bet a lot of you in this room have been really, really wounded by the religious spirit. And as I was speaking, you were able to put verbiage to things that before was just a feeling. It just hurt. And so to equip yourself with verbiage helps you fight better. You know? And the, the wonderful thing is that we've already won. How do you fight? You worship. How do you fight? You pray. How do you fight? You encounter the king. And I think that this is what he's doing within the bride, within our church, is that he's starting to move um, and grow us in discernment during this season. 
Um, I've told this to some of you guys. It's a little personal, but um, whatever. We're all family here. But one of the things the Lord has been doing with me, I don't know. I should have marked down when it started. But I would say for at least 6 to 12 months is that I've been actually feeling physically sick when I've encountered the religious spirit. And he's been showing me physically a spiritual reality. And um, obviously, like the religious spirit, it's one of the most common wounds within the bride. But listen, it's, it's the easiest one to fix. He is the balm of Gilead. He is the physician. And tonight, there are religious wounds that will be healed if they're not already after just encountering him tonight. Uh, wounds are not his will. If any of that stuff happened to you, it was not from God. It was not his will. They may have come to you in the name of God, but it wasn't him. And he only brings freedom and health. And the religious spirit is never a reflection of who he is. It's literally the inverse of who he is. So, can I have the ministry team who I um, asked to help tonight come up? And maybe everyone can just stand. Um, and I felt like we're standing just to honor him. There's nothing, again, we want to make sure that we're shepherding you guys through a lot of this terminology, just so you understand, like, why do we stand up at the end? Um, it's not because your chairs are getting uncomfortable. It's We're actually honoring him for what he's about to do. He's worth honoring. And... Um, I, I really believe that one of the things on his heart specifically for reunion is that we are a wound-free church, that we do not have lenses other than Jesus, that we will be a family and a house that moves in health of perspective. And honestly, um, wounds usually cause blurriness. They do. Um, so this is what we're going to do tonight. Uh, again, just like last week, we're opening up this front. We're going to put on some music. And what we want to do is just invite anybody up who feels like they want to encounter God. This isn't a only come up if you have religious spirit wounds. Only come up if you have physical problems. This is come up if you just want to encounter him. Yeah, come up now. And we're going to have our team move around. We're just going to pray for you guys. Basically, what our ministry team is doing is just agreeing with whatever he's doing. They're asking the Lord, is there anything you want to say to this person? What are you doing with this person? And they want to minister to you and just bless what he's already doing, okay? Um, if you don't feel like coming up to the front, again, this can't be a passive thing. What do you get to do? You get to pray. You get to bless what he's doing as well. And I'm telling you, if we become a church where and I'm going to use terms I don't like, but just for the sake of time and conversation. But if Betty Pewsitter starts interceding for what's happening up here, this church will be a raging inferno, I promise you, because your breakthrough absolutely impacts everyone else's breakthrough. When you see people take steps of faith, you bless their faith. You ask for more. You tell the Lord, thank you for the faith of this person. Thank you that they are unwilling to stand and watch you pass by. And then you just start coming into agreement. You don't, you don't have to like name names or you might not even know their name, but he does. And so you get to just start blessing them. You don't need to stay standing. You can sit, whatever. But this is a place of freedom and you are free to encounter him. So what we're going to do is we're officially going to dismiss. 
So if it's time to go, God bless you. Have a wonderful evening. We will see you next week. But if you want to encounter him, please make the time to stay. Um, it's more important that you get with him than we come around and lay hands on you. We want to make sure we're diligent at that. But he's the reason why we're here. And he needs our help so much less than we think he does. Okay. Let me just bless everybody. We'll put on the music and just let Jesus be Jesus. So thank you, God, for this night. Thank you for your lenses. Thank you that I, I just felt like even physical eyesight would be healed and brought to 2020 vision as a sign of the spiritual, what he's doing in our hearts, that he would open the eyes of our hearts. And guess what? There's never glasses on hearts. Yeah. So thank you, God, for this house, for this beautiful people. I ask that you would encounter them let them know every single name of who you are. Let them experience the fullness of your glory. And would you come now? Would you just move in great power and authority? Because you have all the power and the authority and encounter your kids. In Jesus' name, amen. For more teaching like this, subscribe to this podcast. If you would like more information about Reunion Hawaii Church, our website is reunionhawaii.com. If you're in Honolulu, join us Sundays at 5 live at Kahala Mall. Aloha.